0: Hey there, Rodbo here from the Ale Evangelist Show, and you're listening to the Podcast 99 Radio Network. We the people. We the people of the United States. ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. In the summer of 1787, 55 men would gather in the city of Philadelphia. They were tasked with fixing the government of the United States. Over the next four months, they would debate, discuss, argue, and refine the first document of its kind in all of history, an attempt to show that men can rule themselves by law. This is the story of those men and those times. This is Constitution Thursday, a time we set aside to read, discuss, study, debate, and learn about the Constitution of the United States, what it meant when it was written, why it was written, that way what it means now and how it affects our lives each and every day here's how you can participate the text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE that's 565-3283 the email address is dave at the dave bowman show.com and on the web and social media just search for constitution thursday what i mean is there's so many good things in the bill if someone opposes it, I, it's hard for me to comprehend why they would, why would they oppose this bill, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, there's everything that's good in this bill that's good for the community. Sure, there's a couple of things that, that n- nothing in life's ever perfect, but a majority of this bill is, is going to help the communities. The right of citizens. Of the United States who are of 18 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of its laws. Welcome aboard, my friends. It is Constitution Thursday. I am your host, Dave Bowman. Glad you're with us today as we look at some of the happenings around the Constitution and the news of the United States. Glad you're with us. As I said, you want to join me? 209 565 Dave. That's 209 565 3283 is the text machine. Email remains Dave at the Dave Bowman Show.com. And of course, we're on the web at plausiblylive.com. So I had an interesting. Experience yesterday. I was out and about, and I met in person a rather senior officer aboard one of the submarines, uh, one of our old sister ships that uh, is is out and about. And um, he was with his family, and I was with my i was with Ben and uh, kids were playing and the likes of that. And we just got into a brief conversation, not very long, very very brief. But it occurred to me in the middle of this conversation uh, because he asked me, you know, when he's currently on this particular submarine he asked me when i was on and i uh it was a long time ago i was uh it was in when 1980s i mean i I made patrols 3 through 13 i technically i mean i could argue i made patrol 1 i was on the crew during patrol 1 but i wasn't at sea um but it was a long time ago (laughs) and he kind of he kind of got this bemused look in his eyes and he uh he said yeah back then I was just a little little kid turned out when I got my dolphins when I qualified submarines this guy was like 2 or 3 years old and now he is a very senior officer aboard a ballistic missile submarine and, and in charge of of all of that the the attitudes that old people have had towards young people through the years are intriguing and i found myself yesterday in the position of of thinking to myself how can this kid how can this child be doing what i did so long ago and it was so critical and so important and i was so mature and so on and then i started thinking about it realizing that when i started doing that i was 19 and it was a long time ago and i'm an old guy now and i look every bit of it you don't have to go very far to meet old people who are disdainful of youth. Young people are disrespect. Yeah, when I was a kid, young people did it this way. young people my parents, kids are to be seen and not heard. Um, young people today. kids today just don't have it they just don't they just don't understand. they don't have it as hard as I do. Ben and I were talking on the way to school today about you know a lot of what he does is on videos. He watches a lot of videos. At school, I was thinking, you know when i was when I was in second grade, getting to see a movie or a film strip was a very rare, very rare treat and now it's it's how they learn and i it's it It's bizarre to think about how old people treat young people, and yet the young people of yesterday of my generation are now the old people who are complaining about the young people, and this has been going on throughout human history since well the beginning, really. <laughs> I mean, it really has. For I mean, there's a story in the Bible, right? I mean, you remember the, the, Elisha, the prophet Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha, right? And the kids that come out and taunt him, go on up, you bald head, go on up. For some reason, it was my grandfather's favorite story in the, in the Old Testament. It's a great story, but go on up, you bald head, which is a fantastic insult. And what does Elisha do? These kids that are being disrespectful to him or if i might borrow a phrase saucy he uh, he calls the bears down and the bears eat the kids which was given to us not as a lesson about you know morality it was given to us as a lesson about how to be respectful of elders and how you you don't you don't uh, behave towards elders and, and how people who are old which my grandfather equated with being bald are are better than you, and so forth and so on. Go on up, you bald head. It's in dream. 400 years ago, all right, 396 years, four years ago, something like that, 1624, a guy by the name of Thomas Barnes was a minister in the city of London and gave a sermon in which he decried, if I may read this to you, and it's hard to see, youth have never been more saucy S-A-W-C-I-E. Yea, never more savagely saucy. S-A-U-C-I-E. The ancients are scorned, the honorable are condemned, and the magistrate is not dreaded. 400 years ago in the city of London, that was a pastor, a minister of the gospel, preaching about young people being saucy and saucy. The two words are interesting because I'm one of these people. You know, I spent a few years as a pastor, and I know a little bit about homiletics and creating sermons and that sort of thing. And so, you got these two words that are pronounced similar. So I'll see one's a Scottish word. The first one, S A W C I E, is a Scottish word, and the other, S A U C I E, is an English word, but it had a different meaning in 1624 than it would today. the The intriguing thing to me is, I mean, you, you have this alliteration that this guy obviously put in there, but I, I figured they they had to have two different meanings, and of course, as it turns out, they did the first word the scottish word s a w c i e literally means insolent okay now insolent can be defined in our language as rude and demonstrating a lack of respect, which is what he 's complaining about these young people they show a lack of respect they don't they don't they don 't see things properly they don 't behave properly towards adults and then he uses the second word, the English word saucy, which of course comes out as um, not impudent, but, uh, no, it's impudent. The first one was insolent. The second one is impudent. That's this word impudent that I found intriguing because that actually has an obsolete definition from the 1615-1600s that we don't use anymore, which basically means they lack modesty. They lack de- deference to seniority. And so here he is complaining about this and the, the ancients are not respected. The magistrates are ignored. The, uh, the honorable are condemned by these young people, and this has been the case of old people and young people for, for as long as there have been human beings. Old people complain about young people, young people complain about old people. I still find myself complaining about old people driving. Old people should not be allowed to drive, I say, and then I realize, wait, I'm, I am one of those old people, and <laughs> I, I'm the one with my left-turn blinker on in the right-hand lane for five miles. How did that happen? I don't feel old. I really don't, but I'm realizing that I'm getting there. And boy, was that driven home to me yesterday when I was talking to this officer aboard a ballistic missile submarine who was three when I got my dolphins. The attitude that old folks have towards young people has always been on display, but it's becoming even more in focus now as events around the country are driving us towards this idea that young people aren't responsible, young people can't be trusted, young people are not worthy of the same immunities and privileges that other citizens might have. Where do we go from there? It was back, actually, during World War II, believe it or not, that the first argument was put out that 18-year-olds, are old enough to fight, therefore they should be old enough to vote. It was an idea that was actually supported by President Roosevelt at the time, FDR Roosevelt, but it didn't gain a lot of traction. It just didn't go very far. Why? Because most older folks at that time felt that, well, that's not really the case, Uh eighteen year olds in our world today aren 't as mature as eighteen year olds were fifty years ago, and oh, by the way, we fought the Civil War less than a hundred years ago, and we didn 't let eighteen year olds vote in that. So why would we do it now during the Second World War? Sure, we want them to go off and fight for us, and we want them to go off and defend a democracy against the Nazis and the Japanese and the Bulgarians and the Hungarians and the italians but but we don 't really need them to vote we don 't really need their input into what 's going on we 're wiser, smarter. And so the idea kind of faded out. As we went from the 1940s into the 1950s, the idea was always kind of percolating in the background, but it wasn't really important. And it didn't really become important until the 19 late 1960s, early, very early 1970s. And the reason it became important was because of some fundamental changes in the country. One of which was our deep involvement in a place called Vietnam the society was changing obviously if you lived through it like i did you know this if you didn't well there are plenty of books about it and there's a lot of music about it you can you can go back and uh, find some there's a wonderful documentary i think and i don't remember who did it but peter coyote narrates it and peter coyote has a fantastic narration voice if you ever if you ever want to watch it uh, again politically i don't necessarily agree with everything that was happening obviously my parents were uh, anti counterculture and, and that sort of thing and I was raised that way. but at the same time there was some validity to what they were arguing about. What they were arguing about was this deeply unpopular, this deeply divisive war that we are drafting people. We aren't asking for volunteers. we're drafting people. and the draft age during the first world during the Second World War had been lowered to 18. And so we were drafting 18, 19, 20 year old kids who were ineligible to vote, and sending them to fight in a war that they had no say in. A war that had not been declared by Congress. A war that was politically questionable. It's a war that Vietnam still divides this country. It divides this country because even people like myself, military hawks, look at it and go from a military standpoint, we were brilliant. From a political standpoint, we were idiots. We never really understood what we were doing. We never really understood why we were there. And we never really had a goal, even a simple goal as, let's keep South Vietnam from falling. We we didn't have an achievable goal. And so you have all these arguments about Vietnam. I got books about Vietnam that drive you nuts. I mean, the arguments involved with all this thing. But the critical factor was we were sending young people, very young people, non-voting age people, to fight in this war and... Preventing them from doing so. By the way, how did it get to be 21 years of age in the first place? Well, the 15th Amendment lists the voting age as 21. And so it didn't prevent any of the states from lowering it further than that. And some states, in fact, had lowered it to 18. But most of them had not. Most of them had kept it around 21. So Now we find ourselves embroiled in the Vietnam And the controversies that are surrounding this and the the ideologies that are involved here began to kind of grate on people. And after 1968, when President Nixon was elected, it really began to take a deep meaning here. If we're going to continue to fight this war, if we're going to continue to draft young people, if they're old enough to fight, they're old enough to vote, became the overwhelming mentality. How can they be old enough to drink, and back then the drinking age was 18, not old enough to, to vote? How can they be old enough to be responsible adults, but not have the franchise? This, this is unfair. And leading luminaries of the day, politically luminaries of the day, began to agitate and began to introduce legislation. And in fact, in 1970, a bill was introduced to amend the Voter Right Voter Rights Act, Voter's Rights Act, to lower the voting age to 18 across the country. The bill passed very easily. It was universally hailed as great. Well, not quite universally. There were some people that argued vehemently that this was unconstitutional, that you can't dictate to the states what their voting age can be. And, of course, that should have been the uh, smoke on the horizon, but it wasn't. And the bill went to Nixon's desk. Now, Nixon has gone down in our history as one of the bad people. Nick, every every time you bring up Nixon's name, there's an automatic assumption that whatever he did must be wrong. And, you know, it's the old Doonesbury cartoon where where the, the little kid is watching the videotape of, of Richard Nixon. And she's watching it really intently. Alex, I think is her name. She's watching it, watching it. And she turns around and looks at her parents and goes, he's lying. And her parents, of course, the hippies celebrate. Yay! She realizes but the problem with that theory is that Nixon Nixon made a big mistake in Watergate. I'm not going to take anything away from that. And Nixon screwed up. But to simply say that because he was Nixon he did everything wrong is is a flawed view of history. When this bill came to his desk in in 1970, he looked at it very carefully. He he really dug into this the idea and the potential consequences of this bill. And there was something in this bill that really scared him, this addendum to the Voters' Rights Act. He was afraid that if this bill went into law, because it might be declared unconstitutional, the state, you can't dictate to the states it's a violation of the Tenth Amendment, it's a violation of uh, Article I. Because of that, he was afraid that if it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court might, 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 throw out the entire voters voter rights act. And if that happened, remember it hadn't been that long before, most people don't know this, in 1957, so 13 14 years earlier, the state of Georgia had actually made an a movement had petitioned Congress in 1957 to overturn the 14th and 15th amendments. Think about that for a moment. We look at it today and we go, well, obviously that didn't go anywhere, and it didn't. But there was a significant part of this country that wanted to remove protections for minorities, particularly African Americans, in Georgia, and take away their their constitutionally protected rights to vote. And now Nixon is afraid that if this goes to the Supreme Court, they might, could considerably, throw out the entire Voter Rights Act. In essence, stripping the authority of Congress from the 14th and 15th Amendments and allowing the states to determine who can vote again. And in 1970, it was not all that clear that some states, I wouldn't point any fingers or name any names, Georgia, Texas, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, might not be quite as generous with their voting rights as some of the other states would have been. He signed the bill anyway, but he's, his signing statement made it clear that he was doing so over his deep concerns that this bill might be problematic, that it might not be constitutional. And of course, it was uh, literally hours, well, maybe not hours, but it was very soon thereafter that the state of Oregon, today a, a liberal progressive bastion, but in 1970, not so much, filed a lawsuit against the bill, naming the administration as the defendants. And, of course, Mitchell was the attorney general, so he ends up having to defend this thing before the Supreme Court, Oregon v. Mitchell. And the, the argument from Oregon is, you can't tell us what to do. It says right here in Article 1, it says right here in this. We can do whatever we want. 21, that's it. Boom, we don't have to let 18-year-olds vote in our election because we don't think 18-year-olds are mature enough to do this. We think 18-year-olds are idiots. We think that 18-year-olds today aren't the equivalent of 18-year-olds 20, 30, 40 years ago, that they're not mature enough, that the society has changed, and now things are, are different. And so we just don't trust these 18-year-olds today. Sure, they're old enough to go fight for us, and we'll let them drink a beer, but, but by God, we're not going to give them the franchise. That's not going to happen. And, of course, it went to the United States Supreme Court. And in one of the most contentious dis- rulings... In the history of the Supreme Court, there are actually two rulings out Oregon v. Mitchell. Both of them 5-4, and both of them different on each side. That's how contentious this was. As Nixon had feared, they did find this particular lowering of 18-year-olds unconstitutional. He, They did not. As you know now, I mean, I'm not giving away any secrets here. They didn't throw out the entire Voting Rights Act, which is what he was afraid they might do. But in 254 decisions, rulings, they ruled two different things. One, that it was unconstitutional for the federal government to tell the states to lower the voting age. But that Congress could lower the voting age for national elections to 18, i.e. presidents. They, in a national election which the only one we have is president they could lower it to 18 so you could vote they can vote for president but nothing else now if you're a state and you've toyed with the idea of lowering this to 18 this could be problematic imagine what this means to you if your 18 year olds can vote for president but nothing else ballots are usually secret you know nobody puts their name on it and their age on it so, Do you hold a separate election for only 18-year-olds, 18, 19, 20-year-olds? How do you do this? Do you print a separate ballot? Do you see the expenses that are involved here? Do you see the potential issues that are already facing this? And I know what you're saying, what does this have to do with guns? Stick with me, we'll get there. So what ended up happening is shortly thereafter, the... United States Congress, introduced what would become the 26th Amendment. Okay, we'll fix your wagon, Oregon. We'll fix your wagon, Georgia. We'll fix your wagon, all you other states that are are being stupid. You want your 18-year-olds to go to war, but you don't want to let them vote? Well, we'll fix that. We'll pass a constitutional amendment saying no state shall limit the the, the right to vote because of age. The... How is this exactly word? The right of the citizens of the United States who are 18 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any other state on account of age. And do you know that the 26th Amendment, of all the 27 amendments we've had, all right, now, let's see, 27 took the better part of 237 years to be passed. That's the one that says Congress can't have raises. <laughs> they ignore that one all the time between elections, and so. That was actually one of the original Bill of Rights, as proposed, back in 1789. And that one took until 1992 to get ratified. That's the longest. Okay? Usually now, Congress, if they they do pass a constitutional amendment, now we'll put a seven-year limit on it. it, This amendment has seven years to pass or it it goes away. That's what happened in the 70s with the the so-called Equal Rights Amendment. It did not pass because they couldn't get the ratification done in seven years. This particular one, the 26th Amendment, <laughs> is the fastest, fastest amendment to, to be ratified in the history of the United States. Four months, four months, from the time Congress said, go, until they had the requisite number of states ratifying it. Boom, okay, we're done. <laughs> this is now law. This is now the law of the land. Screw you, Oregon, was basically the, the, the approach to this. We're, we're, we're done with you. We'll take care of that. And the twenty sixth amendment went into place, and in the nineteen starting in the nineteen seventy two national elections, eighteen year olds could vote, and this was seen as a great triumph. Okay, eighteen year olds, yay! Eighteen year olds can vote. There were a lot of people who were still quite mad about this. There is a well known um, sociologist of that day who basically argues that the states were coerced into ratifying this because of the cost involved with conducting two elections or printing two kinds of ballots and the issues that would have come about with that. Well, if they're secret ballots, how do you have ballots that are only 18-year-olds and not 18-year-olds? It it created a lot of problems, and so the states were looking at it going, well, we can't afford that. We might as well ratify. There are some states, by the way, that have never ratified the 26th Amendment. Oddly enough, uh, Florida, Kentucky, I think is one of them, there are states that haven't haven't even bothered to look at it, mostly because they probably just don't care. But then again, who knows? I think it was South Carolina finally ratified it in 1995. I mean, it's some of it is just absurd, and some of it is just, you know, formulaic and the likes of that. But the idea here was that, okay, 18-year-olds can now vote. Hooray. Whether or not that has been successful or not, whether that has had any impact on elections or not, is, is for another show. And we've talked about that when we've talked about the 18-year-old vote in other, in other episodes of Constitution Thursday. Whether it was a great social experiment or not, who knows. But we're left with this idea here because you have this 26th Amendment. You have this 14th Amendment, this 15th Amendment, and later on you have uh, women's suffrage, the 19th Amendment, that are often combined with the 14th Amendment's prohibitions, the the idea of due process, equal protection, privileges, and immunities. And those have been tied together so many times for other things that many people began to look at the 26th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and went, <coughs> <laughs> let us go to court. And they began to sue for things like drinking ages. States began to raise drinking ages to 21. This is a problem. You know, because young people getting drunk is, that's bad. Old people getting drunk is fine. Young people, because old people are mature and old people are, are responsible. Young people are not, and they're dumb. They'll get drunk and kill people, right? So let's raise the drinking age to 21. That'll keep them from, di- they went to the court saying, see, 26th Amendment, 18th, 14th Amendment, privileges and immunities. And the court said, are you out of your freaking minds? The Supreme Court, now you need to understand this above all else. The Supreme Court has rejected every argument. The same arguments that you get about the 14th, 15th arguments combined together about other things. The same arguments about the 26th and the 14th combined, privileges and immunity, have been utterly rejected by the Supreme Court. They have thrown them out. Nope. The 26th Amendment apply can only be applied to voting. Period. Now, you might say, well, Dave, that's obvious, but you've got to go back to the privileges and immunities, due process, equal protection, the 14th. you got you got to combine those two together. You can't, just, you can't just take one verse out of the Bible, out of its context, and go, oh, there you go, there's my whole doctrine. It doesn't work that way. Same with the Constitution. But for whatever reason, the Supreme Court has over and over and over again rejected that argument when it comes to the 26th Amendment and the idea of voting. It only applies to voting, cannot be stretched into anything else, period, end of discussion. Don't waste our time anymore with this stuff, is basically the approach of the Supreme Court. Now, what does that have to do with today? Jump ahead to 2018, of course, we have the Parkland school shooting. And the reaction to the Parkland school shooting has been an outpouring of emotion, it's been an outpouring of we must do something, this is something, therefore we must do this. There's an appalling lack of logic being applied to any of this. Uh, That's more my opinion than dispassionate discussion, but nobody's really thinking about what we're doing here. And so at least three legislatures, Oregon, Michigan, and now Florida, have passed bills raising the gun purchase age to a minimum of 21. Actually, I take that back. Oregon and Michigan have not passed those bills. Oregon and Michigan have gun stores, which have announced a private policy of not selling guns to 21. Florida, yesterday, passed a bill raising the gun purchase age to 21. It is now sitting on the governor's down there's desk, and he has not, as of this recording, decided what he's going to do with that. He, There was a lot of discussion this morning on East Coast uh, time as to what's going to happen with that, but as of right now, there's no no real discussion to that. Meantime, you've got these stores that have announced their policy of doing so. And, of course, this has resulted in two lawsuits in Oregon and Michigan where people under the age of 18 have said that their privileges and immunities and rights to due process are being discriminated against on the basis of age. That if they were more than 18, if they were 21, the store would happily sell them an AR-15, but because they're not 21, the store says, no, not going to do that. This leads to two lawsuits, as I said, Oregon and Michigan, that are based in that idea, and of course, this now opens up all kinds of cans of worms, doesn't it? Okay, can a store, a private entity, not subject to First Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, Twenty First Amendment, Twenty Sixth Amendment, Twenty First Amendment? I don't, who cares? Um, I don't know why they would be subject to the repeal of a prohibition. I don't know. Um, But all these things that are there, can you enforce that against a private business? Can a private business not say, nope, that's not my clientele. I'm not going to serve them. Can they? Now, the libertarian in me says, well, of course they can. Of course a business, however stupid a decision that might be, can say I'm not going to serve that person or those people or whatever. Of course a business can do that. It's a stupid business decision. I've always been amazed by businesses that do that. I go back to my experience in, uh, in Virginia Beach. I worked for a guy in Virginia Beach, a senior chief, who was a pretty smart guy. I was in the Navy. He was in the Navy. He was our office manager. And on the side, he had been working very hard since he was a very young sailor, saving his money, putting money, investing. And he owned a hotel. In Virginia Beach, a resort town. Okay, now it wasn't you know the Marriott or anything. It was one of these traveler motels. It wasn't a you know wasn't a top end motel, but it was not a Roach Coach either. He owned this hotel, and an odd thing would happen every year, right around 1989, I guess. They used to have a thing called Greek Fest in Virginia Beach, which was the traditional black colleges spring break. Instead of going to Daytona, where all the white colleges go, they would go to Virginia Beach. And in 1989, that became a disaster. There was huge riots, um, police presence. Uh, they They were actually using tennis courts that they'd put barbed wire around as temporary jails. I mean, it was a mess. We were actually on the base put on alert to guard the base perimeter because there was a fear at one point that, the rioters would try to get on the base and what was then called dev group six, which you now know as seal team six probably would have objected to that. So they, they put us up post that after that little event, many of the hotels would close on labor day weekend. If there was a Greek fest scheduled, they would close on labor day weekend. Even if there wasn't, they would close. Imagine that a holiday weekend, at a beach seaside town would close over a three-day weekend because they didn't want to serve, well, black students. And I was always amazed because my my senior chief, and I should tell you his name, Neil Petrie, um, an irascible old guy that we didn't get along on anything, but I sure learned a lot from him, would always open his hotel, always open his hotel. He made sure it was open. He made sure it was extra sparkly and extra clean and, every room was open if, if you know if a room had been you know offline for a while it, he made sure for labor day that room was open and available and you know he somebody asked him one day why he did that he said cuz i like green anybody that's got green can stay in my hotel anybody that's green welcome in my hotel and it was it was an interesting approach to his his ideology as to dealing with businesses that can decide who they're going to sell to who they're not going to sell to can a business do that can a business not do that again what might seem obvious to us on the surface becomes less so in light of recent events doesn't it it is the state of oregon which now faces this lawsuit which has a law which says it's places of public accommodation Except as provided in subsection 2 of this section, all persons within the jurisdiction of this state are entitled to the full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, and privileges of any place of public accommodation without any distinction, discrimination, restriction or on account of age, color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, national orientation, national origin, sorry, marital status, or age if the individual is of age as described in this section or older. And this would go on to be used as... The anvil, if you will, of the famous cake case and the gay, ba- the gay couple that wanted a wedding cake made, and they said no. Well, we're going to we're going to take them apart, and we're going to force them to break the cake or pay the fine. And this was the very law that was used for that. And this is the same law now, which this young man under eighteen is standing in front of a store that refuses to sell him a gun because he's under age of twenty one, saying ah. Public accommodation. You have to sell me a gun or else you're going to pay a fine. We're going to make you sell me a gun because that's what Oregon law says, right? The, not every state, by the way, has these particular laws that, that, that include age discrimination. Why? Probably because the Supreme Court has been very clear that age discrimination for under-21s, they're okay with. And why would the Supreme Court be okay with that? Why? Why can you re, can you kind of noodle this through a little bit? Why would the Supreme Court be okay philosophically, obviously, with the idea of discriminating against services and products to 21 year olds and under? I don't know. Maybe because most of them are older, and old people have certain ideas about younger people and how responsible they are and how capable they are. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, folks. Well, it might still be happening. For all I know, that uh, young people in this country were eating Tide Pods. Which I still, to this day, can't believe is actually happening. I don't know anybody that's done that. I I know a lot of people who joke about it, but apparently this is a thing. Young people do weird things. Back when I was a kid, they used to stuff themselves in Volkswagens. Let's see if we can get 50, 50 people into a Volkswagen. Oh, why? (laughs) You know... Young people do stupid things, and they're not responsible, and they're not organized, and they're not mature enough. They can't make these decisions, and so we have to protect them by limiting things that they can buy and do. We don't let them drink. Why do we not let them drink? Why do we say to young people, you are not allowed to drink? Moreover, has it been effective? We say to young people, you cannot smoke. We don't want you smoking. I don't want them smoking either, but frankly, I don't want anybody smoking, but that's my opinion. And the question then becomes, why do we do that? Well, we're protecting them. They're not wise enough. They're not mature enough to make that decision for themselves, are they? How is this going to affect? Well, here's the problem with the Oregon law. If you <clears throat> if you were paying attention, it, uh, it said, or if the individual is of, uh, is of age, as described in this section, or older. Well, subsection 1, paragraph 8, the enforcement of laws governing the consumption of alcoholic beverages by minors and the frequenting by minors of places in public accommodation where alcohol is served, do not apply. Laws governing the use of marijuana and by persons 21 years of age and under do not apply. There are some special rates and services promotions for people. You know, dis- discounts for senior discounts are not—they don't apply. You can give a senior discount if you want, and so you have this idea here in the Oregon law that sort of implied that there's a certain level of public responsibility here. What did the legislature of Oregon intend? to have happen by passing these laws saying that places of public accommodation can't discriminate on the basis of age under 21 except in certain circumstances, which we have given you examples of here, but are these the only ones that apply? I guarantee you that the lawyers for those stores are going to argue, Supreme Court says <laughs> only applies to voting. In fact, they've specifically limited these other things. And By the way, there's some problems here, aren't there? What happens if the state of Oregon says, nope, this court in Oregon says, no, it's not discrimination to not apply. Even though the law doesn't specifically say guns, it does say public accommodation. And because it doesn't specifically say guns, but this court says, well, it's a public safety issue and boom, We're overturning that, and you don't have to sell it to 21s. What happens then? Does a certain baker get his fine back because this law doesn't seem to apply? Do they have to apply it across the board? Because it seems, as Pat the lawyer says to me, it seems that consistency should apply but we're back to this under-21 thing and this flexibility that the courts seem to have here. Then what happens? What happens if either side loses in Oregon, or in Michigan for that matter, but we'll, we'll focus on Oregon? Either side loses, they're going to appeal this to the federal courts. The state of Oregon loses, they're going to say, well, they... Actually, Oregon has another route available to them, which is to pass another law, but then they're back in the same boat, and eventually this ends up in the federal courts. And does it? if it goes to the Supreme Court of the United States, either way the Supreme Court rules, it creates problems, doesn't it? Both sides are afraid, because what if we lose? What if we lose the gun rights? People will be... But now you're discriminating against under-21s, and if the state loses, <laughs> then if you're going to force cake bakers to bake cakes for gay couples, then you've got to sell guns to 18-year-olds, right? Then you're back to, well, we've got to ban guns, and it's going to raise all kinds of problems and issues and arguments and debates, and the, the, the whole thing is going to go loopy in a big hurry. If we scenario this out, Rosalie, as Alexander Haig once said, it opens a lot of can of worms. Now, maybe these stores weren't thinking in that terms. Maybe these stores weren't thinking as they reacted when they established these national policies as to whether or not it should affect anything. We're a private business. So of course we can do this, except that you're a place of public accommodation. Can you do? Can you do something like that? Which appears to be in violation of the state law. There's a bigger consideration, of course, which is that was it a wise move by these stores to do this, considering the potential constitutional impacts of it? Do you think anybody at these particular stores—and I'm not going to name them—you can look them up for yourselves—sat down in their offices and went, you know, if we do this. We could potentially overturn a major Supreme Court decision, which would result in people, if we can discriminate, so can other businesses. Do you think they thought that through? Richard Nixon sitting at his desk in 1970 went, i not comfortable with this. I'm going to give you what you want, but I've got a big concern that you're going to overturn something major at least he thought about it at least he said it do you think either of these two stores sat down and went you know if we do this we might be we might be hurting people that we like people that we support people that that we think are great i don't think they did i don't i don't think they possibly could have and the bigger question to me is once this gets to the supreme court of the united states assuming that it does and who knows if it will or not who knows really in the end of this, what will probably happen is political pressure will be brought from the state of Oregon, the state of Michigan, on the two companies in question with you need to rescind your policy, which they've done before, by the way. One of these two stores announced the exact same policy back in 2012 and then got away from it because, as it turns out, you know guns are a good moneymaker. <laughs> they didn't want to lose money. As it turns out, they like that. They're, they're all about money and paying stockholders and stuff like that. So they they went away with that, Paul, and now they're redoing it. I, my guess is political pressure will be brought by the legislatures of those two states saying, hey, you're potentially endangering something else. If you can discriminate, so can bakers. If you can discriminate, so can wedding chapels. Do you really want to be responsible for changing that? Might be the pressure that's brought, this. the policy will be quietly rescinded, and the legislatures will go on their way attempting to pass laws, which may or may not be constitutional. Who knows? And that'll be a different fight when they get to that point. But in the meantime, we watch what's happening and we think about this idea that as we're looking at these young people, okay, this kid that killed people in Parkland was 19, but Are all 19-year-olds irresponsible weirdos? Are all 19-year-olds problematic? And is that the best way to judge it? And again, if they're old enough to kill, if they're old enough to fight, if they're old enough to vote, why aren't they old enough to do these other things? Is there really a valid public safety issue here? And at the end of the day... Do you really want these two particular companies in question dictating national policy about other things? That's something else to think about as well. Got to get running. Thank you for being part of Constitution Thursday. We will see you on Saturday for a brand new episode of Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast right here on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Constitution Thursday is a Slippery Fish entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Network, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. For more information or to hear past shows, log on to ConstitutionThursday.com or Facebook.com slash Constitution Thursday.